episode seven. I've got a lot to say for this one. So rather than bringing on another guest, we're going to bring on a guest for the next episode. I'm actually bringing on Clark Kegley from a few episodes ago on my next episode. So not this one that you're listening to, but the following one, because we had to follow up with that conversation about aliens that we didn't have time to hit on on the episode that he was on. So he's coming back on. We're going to crush and go deep on that topic. Aliens, the UFO conspiracy. So look forward to that one in the next episode. But on this one, I really want to get off my chest. A lot of my thoughts and hot takes on some of the current events going on around the world, as well as some of the things going on in the pop culture and modern science. You know, things like Elon Musk launching into space, trying to go to Mars, space anomalies that are crazy that most people don't get to talk about or even hear about. So anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself some R&R. I, I got love for the game. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. You're tuning in for some R&R episode motherfucking seven. We're at seven. Siete. And I was seeing, a, I saw a stat the other day um, from a podcast. I think it was impulsive. They said that most podcasts don't make it past seven episodes. Here we are. Episode seven. We doing it big. We doing big things and we ain't slowing down. It's just beginning. We are just getting started, my friends. So get used to my voice because we're going to be around for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Oh my goodness. Speaking <laughs> of momentum, dude, honestly, I, I read, did you hear about the the Air Force personnel, like people wanting to join the U.S. Air Force? Oh, we jumping Force? right in, huh? I, I want to jump okay. right into it. Okay. I, thought, I thought this was pretty cool. Just like yeah. with all the news going on recently. Yeah, yeah. I just found it interesting that 8,500 people from Air Force are interested in the U.S. Space Force. All right. So how big of a percentage is that for the total people in the Air Force? I, that I did not check. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get Look that it up right now. You got your Let's computer see. there. So you, what you're saying right now is basically space force is a new branch of the military. Donald Trump. You can thank him for that. And what you're saying is a lot of people are trying to transition from air force to space force. Yeah. yeah. And then, the, and that's like off their own free will. So. Bro. Have you seen that show yet? We talked about it the other day, but have you watched it yet? No. Space force on I Netflix. Haven't. It's. I, I'll be honest, I resisted watching it for a long time. I thought it looked stupid as fuck. And I was like, Steve Carell, man, you're you were funny. Why are you why are you getting demoted to this Space Force nonsense? I thought the show was too a little too slapsticky for my taste. Does that make sense? Slapsticky? Yeah. yeah. Just like up in your face, kind of like more simple. Uh it's it's like, yeah, it's like more overt, try hard humor, in my opinion. I like subtle. I like something that mm. I'm going. Yo, that's fucking low-key hilarious. That's kind of my humor. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest, man. I took an edible the other night to help me fall asleep. And uh, and when it kicked in, I started watching Space Force. And it was I had to put on Space Force because I had just watched a horror movie. And my dog was keeping me safe during the horror movie. And it was nice. But if I wanted to keep watching something as I fell asleep, I had to turn on something that, that was going to completely change the vibe and not scare me so Light I wouldn't fall mood. asleep. Yeah, lighten the mood. And... When the show came on, I was like, yo, this show's kind of stupid. It's got stupid humor. It's got a lot of big name comedians, but I'll be honest, man. I don't know why. I just found myself uncontrollably giggling, and I don't think it was the edible. I think for some reason, the humor just works. Like, even though it's kind of stupid, it, it just works for the show. Like, there was one episode where they sent a rocket into space for the Space Force, and um, 
Then they found out that the top secret mission for the whole rocket that cost $6 billion to launch was just so they could have a chimp, chimp astronaut and a dog astronaut make a viral video of them playing with each other in space. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is so fucking stupid. But at the same time, it's kind of low-key low key hilarious. So they they met, they met the perfect middle ground. But either way, man, I'm curious. what Did you find anything? Yeah, so the active duty are 328,255 members in the Air Force right now. So 300,000? Yeah, so 300. And about eight, so like what? Two percent of the people. Yeah, that's still significant. Two out of every hundred. Yeah, and that's just open. Like, imagine I'm assuming later on they're gonna like have like open enrollment straight from when you join the military. Mm. I'm sure that's gonna be an option on there to join. Would you join the space force? Ooh, honestly, I don't know. Yeah, I I think I probably. See, this is something I want to talk to Clark about because uh, for those of you guys who have been following us since episode one, we're at episode seven right now. Um, Me and Clark kind of ended without ever getting into the topic that me and him both relate on low key, which is fucking aliens and that whole conspiracy. And are they real? Are UFOs real? Um, Or are they just top secret technology that is created by man? So that one thing that is kind of big on the alien conspiracy is the space force and i'm interested in the space force if it's the way that some of the the ufo nuts talk about which is we are using alien technology that's back engineered from dozens and dozens of years ago like like the 40s and 50s um and we're already intergalactic interplanetary that's what some of these guys are saying and they like one guy lockheed skunk works lockheed lockheed skunk works um it's like the major engineering aerospace company that provides a lot of technology especially for the the airplanes Mm -hmm. um to the government to the army and in the 90s the guy who started it i'm pretty sure he died either early 2000s or late 90s and he said we already have the technology to take et home on his deathbed so do you think this is just like uh uh, like him i mean essentially he or what is it what's the word i'm looking for but like it's the truth like he's saying the truth that we already have the technology but See, this is where I think a lot of people can debate about it because if if the Space Force is real in the way that they were saying back in the, the way that people who are in the UFO community, and I don't consider myself one of these people. I'm a truther, not a UFO <laughs> aliener or whatever the fuck you call them, right? Um, I just want to know the truth. And there's some compelling evidence that goes, yo, there's something here, right? And, and even in 2020, it kind of came to fruition when the Pentagon officially officially acknowledged that these are UFOs and we have no clue what they are, and they're most likely from outer space. That's a huge step that, you know, 10 years ago, nobody would have ever imagined the government ever acknowledging anything like that, right? And so that being a huge step, but if the Space Force is already as advanced as some of these people are saying, then I believe that this whole Space Force with the Donald Trump and the government is really just almost like a cover to get the general public um, used to the idea of us being in space. Uh... But the possibility is we've already been there. We've been there for decades, and we already have technology that way exceeds anything we can imagine, which I'm sure we definitely do, uh, to the degree of alien UFOs that can fucking zip across space in the blink of an eye. I don't know about that, but it is pretty compelling that right when Donald Trump gets in here, here's another thing that's compelling about Donald Trump. And I I know me and Clark will go deep, deep, deep on this. And he's actually coming on, um, on one of the next two or three episodes Saturday. Yeah. Uh, for Saturday's episode. So the next one this week, 
Um, he wants to go deep on aliens because we didn't get the chance to do it last time. And uh, here's a crazy part. Nikola Tesla, the man who Tesla cars are named after by Elon Musk, the arguably one of the smartest entrepreneurs and genius entrepreneurs in the world today. Nikola Tesla, when he died, he died a broke man with hardly any pennies to his name, right? And it was all because of this thing called the Tesla Tower that he wanted to create that was going to provide free energy to the world. And it was all based on his revolutionary way of manipulating electricity. Well, long story short, the Tesla Tower failed and Edison, I think it was Edison, correct me if I'm wrong. Edison, he was a, he was a big proponent of um, alternating current, whereas Tesla was a big proponent of direct current, DC versus AC, right? The different types of electricity we have. And so obviously Tesla lost that battle. Is more uh, two marketing heads going together, trying to get their tech, their technology and their inventions out to the world. Tesla kind of went under the limelight, um, didn't get a lot of the the credit he deserved as being a pioneer in, electri- in electricity. Um, but honestly, uh, when Tesla died, even though he was broke, he died in a hotel room. Government officials went into the hotel room the night he died and took all of his research, all of his papers. And to this day, nobody's seen those papers, but they are in the government's hands, right? The government has access to them. Here's what's crazy about that story. One of the people who went in on behalf of the government to take Elon Musk's, or not fucking Elon Musk, Nikola Tesla's work and research after he died was uh, Donald Trump's great-grandfather. And is this like proven? This is proven. So Donald Trump's great grandfather was one of those people. And how crazy is it that he comes to be in office in 2020 and then he starts the Space Force Mm. and the Pentagon officially recognizes UFOs. Maybe Donald Trump knows something that his great grandfather told him that has some significant relevance to the UFO conspiracy. Do you think it, it could have been maybe like his grandfather told, told him a, like a story when he was younger and then as a kid he just kind of started believing it? Or do you think it's... I don't know, man. It's hard to guess. I don't... Like I, I literally haven't even studied Donald Trump extensively to the point where I would even have a good gauge on like what his motivations are and what his personality is. I only see what the news portrays of him today, right? And honestly, I don't pay that much attention to politics anyways. But I thought that was interesting when I first heard it. And um, honestly, when I heard that Space Force was a new thing that was being created, I didn't even believe it (laughs) right at first. Um, But anyways, that's interesting that a lot of people are transitioning. I know one of my goals when I was in high school, um, I ended up being too tall to be a pilot, but I wanted to fly fucking jets and shit. Mm. I thought it would be badass. I grew up in an army town. I know several people who I went to high school with. A girl I even dated in high school is a pilot today um, for the Air Force. And so um, I've always wanted to be a a jet pilot from a very young age. And actually, when we were getting posters to like deck out this this studio, my mom sent me some old posters from my childhood. And my dad, um, full disclosure, was a Vietnam veteran. He went to Vietnam several times, uh, got drafted originally and became a helicopter pilot. And he retired a lieutenant colonel in the army. Um, And so from a very young age, uh, I was looking at like, jets and and helicopters and really interested in all that stuff but uh, i kind of got more interested in sports as i grew up so also i didn't even know about that that you were interested in becoming a pilot i I have vivid memories of my dad do you smell burning plastic no okay maybe it's just me (laughs) maybe it's the aliens beaming down burning class plastic you know what you know (laughs) honestly what i'm kind of excited for like this opens up 
like a whole realm to where essentially individuals are going to create their own spaceships if this once this builds momentum and this is going to be like kind of like space pirates well elon musk is already there bro all you need is enough money to build a fucking spaceship that'll go into space. And here's why I'm like unsure about the whole Space Force conspiracy. Is it really as advanced as as the UFO nuts are saying? The only reason I say that is because Elon Musk literally worked with NASA to launch a rocket into space a couple weeks ago, but doing it the old school way. Obviously, it's a new up-to-date rocket, but you're still using fucking... Uh, what is it called? Uh, fossil fuels to propel this big piece of machinery into space and into orbit. It takes billions of dollars to do that. Elon Musk has the resources to do that. But how wasteful is that if we truly do have the type of technology that can just like zip into space with no effort? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 a good point. It just wouldn't make sense. And so it makes you wonder, do we actually have access to that or... Do we have access to that and they're not letting Elon gain access to it? They're making Elon go the old school route because it seems like Elon is determined to get to fucking Mars, which, by the way, I heard today on a podcast. Uh, I forget where I heard it. It was some some YouTube video I was watching. They were talking about um, Elon Musk going to Mars. And apparently Elon said he would not be he would never be one of the first people to go to the Mars, even though he's the one trying to get us on Mars. And his reasoning was their survival rate of the first people who go to Mars is going to be likely very low and his gifts need to be here creating the technologies to get him there. Yeah. But it's almost like, I don't know. Is that something to respect or not? Cause it's like, <laughs> it's like the captains of a ship If a ship's going down. They stay with the fucking ship. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I can see both, both sides of the argument, but what's, what's more chivalrous. What's more courageous. Elon, if you're that smart, Get us to fucking Mars and go your damn self, motherfucker. <laughs> That's true. But I think at a certain level, like he's unsure, you know, of like what is on Mars yeah. and then what challenges and what resources he's going to have if yeah. something goes haywire. Yo, have you ever seen those fucking um, the people with telescopes, the high powered ones, and even looking through like the NASA rover footage from Mars, they think that there is actual artifacts on Mars, like pyramids, things like that, buildings, I've, roads. Yeah, I've heard that, but I've never really seen a picture like with an actual like pyramid or artifact from Mars. You've never from... seen the face on Mars? That little no. rock? Yo, what's... <laughs> Yo, I'm going to show this to you. Face on Mars. This is a, a thing from the 90s. People thought this was like aliens trying to talk to us. Face on Mars. Oh, shit. Yeah. And uh, what's crazy is I think if you looked on... Uh, some of the the pictures that came out more recently, it it looks not like a face. But then some of the pictures you look at, um, if it does look like a face, clearly like the shadows, the shadows. Um, so some people think that the newer pictures are doctored, so they look less like a face. Um, oh, but also some of the people who are big on like there's artifacts on Mars, there's pyramids and buildings on Mars. All that stuff is like in a triangulated, perfect isosceles triangle to this face. Like there's two pyramids that are perfectly make a triangle. And so it's almost like too perfect. Like yeah. it, it's intentional. There's a lot of there's a lot of weird anomalies in space uh, that are hard to deny. Another one. Yo, 
This is crazy. We're kind of getting off topic here, but fuck it. This is raw and relentless. We talk about whatever yeah. we want. We go with the <laughs> flow of the conversation. We are the most uh, entertaining personal development show on the internet. And actually, here's the description. Let me read this description that I came up with for the show. Because like I said in the last episode, we're still finding our voice, which is really freeing because that means we can take this wherever we want. And honestly, um, it, it, it's like everything that I would love in a show. If I had to create my own show, which I did and I could make it the best show that I possibly can that is also fulfilling for me to create that I look forward to showing up to it's going to be exactly this right and so um here let me let me read this and I'm going to show you guys this fucking some of these anomalies in space in our own solar system um but again I would love to get fucking Clark on here and just go deep on this shit uh which we are going to later this week (laughs) um speaking of I uh, went to the lake the other day, Salt River Tubing. If you ever go to Arizona, you have to go Salt River River Tubing. It's like the most um, scenic, lazy river that's like more fun than any lazy river you've ever been on. Yeah. And it's natural, right? And there's rapids. You're sitting on the tube. Everybody's getting drunk. And there's this tradition where you take marshmallows. So everybody has bags of marshmallows. And you're floating down this big river and there's literally parts where you're just going in in the flow of the river and you're just like right next to big groups of tubers. Like there's so many people on this river, but it's so big that it's fun to do. And we all just throw marshmallows at each other and it's like a fun oh, thing Oh, so this do. is like a thing that everyone kind of, yeah. that place is known for. It's a big ass party, lazy river that's naturally occurring. That's dope. Yeah. And the tradition is you throw marshmallows at other people. <laughs> and it's How many so people innocent. did you come across? Hundreds, thousands, bro. People just post up there all day. People float down the river all day. And it takes, it took us five hours just to go from the starting point to the finish point where you get out. Jesus. And that's just floating down naturally. Dude, I would take, with that knowledge, I would take a, a marshmallow gun. <laughs> People are going to be scared, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because like, it's like what I would imagine partying in uh, like a remote area in the seventies is like, like people are getting high, they're getting drunk. I don't think people are doing heroin and LSD, but, um, who the fuck knows? It's just, it's just a massive party. Good vibes, good times. And everybody there is having a great time. Nobody's getting mad. Nobody's fighting each other. Oh. There's parts where you can jump off of cliffs into the deep parts. It's, it's awesome. That's what I've been wanting to do is go cliff diving. I invited you, bro. <laughs> I never done it though. Yeah. I, I want to go, you know where I want to go? Sedona. That I see so much pictures and it looks so beautiful. I'm just like, I want to go camp out there. Mm. That would be nice. Dude, I went hiking out there. Um, there's this hiking trail called Devil's Bridge. It's so dope. It's a naturally occurring bridge that's hundreds of feet off the ground and it's only about 10 feet wide. And so you got the trail and it comes to a like the side of the trail where it's like the cliff that drops off and then it wraps around and it forms this natural rock bridge that's like this big ass arch that's connected to the trail and oh, you can, people go out there and stand there and take pictures and I get I get sweaty palms just looking at the pictures just sitting on the edge dangling their feet off oh cuz it's like a deep it's like a several drop. hundred feet down so it's about 10 feet wide and it's just this flat naturally occurring rock bridge and it goes out for about I don't know, 50 to hundred feet. That's a, that's a big estimate, but it's, it's, it's a pretty long thing. So you walk out there and then my buddy didn't even realize how far it dropped down. So when we went there, you can jump from the end of the bridge back onto the trail onto the side of the fucking mountain. And it's about oh. four or five feet away. My buddy doesn't have the same fear of heights that I do, but it did. He did. I apparently he just didn't look at how high off the ground this thing was. Cause he's like, Oh, this is the end of the bridge. Let me just hop over to the fucking trail. So he just jumped it and didn't even think twice. And I'm like, yo, you realize if you slipped 
you would have fallen a hundred, 200 feet down to your death. Right. And so I, I had to go there and I had to just like be very cautious, <laughs> but I know a lot of people, uh, specifically when I'm first moved here for dental school, like my whole dental school class went there and they took this big group picture. There's people doing handstands in the middle of this thing. There's people dangling their feet off the edge of it. I'm like, hell no. So I don't trust myself for a handstand. I feel like I would just flop over the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, um, I can't even do a handstand without being on devil's bridge. Yo. So Here's a description for our show, and you know this if you've been following us for a while or if you're or if you're on episode 600 years from now and you're going back and watching this. The most entertaining, raw, and unfiltered personal development show on the internet. Tune in for hot takes on pop culture, modern science, conspiracies, and stoner thoughts. Sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself some R&R with Patrick James and guests. Uh, new episodes every Tuesday and Saturday. Watch the full episodes on YouTube. Here, if you're seeing the video, you're already here. You're already That's here. True. If you're watching, if you're listening to this, go check us out on YouTube. You can see my pretty face as I talk into this fancy microphone in this tiny ass room with Chris. I like your shirt, man. It says Passion Pace. Thank you. It's <laughs> from uh, the Passion of You. Hopefully, our. I mean, hopefully, I'm gonna re- try reaching out to them today. Yeah. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna take it up. That'd be cool. Get right. Omar on. Yeah. Um. Uh. Anyway, so. Uh, hexagon, cloud. So. Some people think Saturn is actually, I don't know what the exact theory is, but they think that maybe it's a big satellite because the rings kind of form a little satellite type dick, disc, (laughs) dick shape. (laughs) Um, But the top of it, it's the only naturally occurring hexagon shaped cloud that we know of. And it's at the top of the equator of uh not equator top pole the northern pole of saturn and it's hexagon shaped and we don't know how this could naturally occur which is why they think it was a man-made satellite like or at least turned into a man-made satellite so check this out yo what the yeah that's the top of saturn i've I've never seen this before yeah that's crazy that that kind of looks like a kendama do you know what that is Mm -mm. so it's like a little wooden toy that you just try to like it's a ball on a string mm. and at the end there's like this little pokey thing for the hole and you just have to like try to get it on there. Yeah. And it's a perfect hexagon shape. And um and this is kind of like if you think back to uh 2001 a space odyssey or 2010 a space odyssey. Have you ever read those books or watched those movies? I don't think so. I mean the whole point of that movie is going I believe they went to Jupiter. Correct me if I'm wrong some of the listeners. They went to Jupiter to look for signs of alien life. Um it was either Jupiter or Saturn because I know the book was either Saturn or Jupiter, and then the movie did the opposite, Saturn or Jupiter. So it was one of those two. But how there's a there's been a lot of talk about like random UFOs being seen in the rings of Saturn, things like that. Um, another crazy thing, there's a moon of Jupiter uh, that has a big monolith, just like the movie 2001: A Space Odyssey. Do you know what a monolith is? No. Monolith. I'm curious. Can you see this if you have like your own like pretty good? Yeah, that's how telescope. we know about it. Ah, okay. So a monolith is this big rock that's like shaped like that. Oh, it's shaped like a fucking rectangle or a sphere, right? So a monolith on moon, on moon of Mars. Yeah. So check this out. This is an actual satellite of the monolith on the moon of Mars. Now, here's the significant part about this. 
Um, the only reason I heard about this or anybody heard about this is because Buzz Aldrin, the second person to ever land on the moon, walk on the moon with Lance, not Lance Armstrong, Neil Armstrong. I'm getting a lot of names confused today. Um, with Neil Armstrong, second man on the moon, still alive, Buzz Aldrin. He said in an interview, um, people need to take their curiosities to the sky. He goes, what are people going to think when they find out that there's a big monolith on the moon of Mars, and that moon of Mars makes one revolution round in every 24 hours. And the monolith itself, it looks very man-made. So here's the monolith on the moon of Mars, bro. Or, yeah. And you can see the shadow it casts. Like, that is not a naturally occurring rock formation. Yeah. Uh, it's just strange because is, is that the only one, like, yeah. in that area? Yeah. So the whole... the um. I mean, the whole story of 2001 A Space Odyssey was they found a monolith on the moon and they realized that this monolith was leading them to a different, a second monolith on either Saturn or Jupiter or maybe the Mars of Jupiter, something like that, right? And then the, the whole space mission, the whole point of the movie was they were traveling to go see where this... What it was. Yeah. Where it landed. Like what created these fucking structures and do research on it, right? So anyways, you can go check out the movie. It's really, it's a really good movie. It's a classic, but there's a lot of different crazy anomalies that you got to think of. There's another moon. Um, I forget. I think it might be the same moon with the monolith, but it looks like a perfect walnut. Almost like in the sense that there's a around the equator. So like the center of this sphere it's perfectly spherical, but then there's this ridge. <laughs> like a shell. Like a fucking, like a walnut kind of. And it perfectly goes around. And it's just a perfect ridge. And it's almost like it was welded shut, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's pretty crazy. I forget what moon that is. Or I'd look up the picture and show you. But yeah, man. Dude, I, I feel like, uh, you know, with such a big universe, ever-expanding universe, I feel like if it's bound to have some, like, oddities you know that's unexplainable mm. so that's where i'm just kind of like mm, I, I'm, I'm still kind of open to the fact but not i don't know yeah. i gotta there's certainly a lot of things that scientists even no matter how smart they are even in 2020 don't understand about the world the universe space and things that can occur naturally but there's also another thing to consider and it's called the fermi paradox do you know what, you, what is it so the fermi paradox is basically there we can look up at the sky and see billions and billions of different galaxies from our own vantage point on Earth, right? And then if you think about what makes up a galaxy, billions and billions of actual stars, every one of those stars has planets revolving around it. They have their own solar system. So we got billions and billions of galaxies that we can see times billions and billions of stars inside of each one of those galaxies times dozens or you know at least you know a few planets surrounding each one of those stars and so for us to be so naive to think that we are the only intelligent life in the entire universe is absolutely insane the stats the the statistics are severely against that being the absolute truth right statistics right if we're going by the numbers there's a very high chance that not only are we not alone but there's probably billions and billions and billions of other intelligent species that are, here's the craziest part, billions of years ahead of humans. Because 
the the life of the universe is about like 14 billion years mm-hmm. and then how long has how has the earth been around maybe less than half of that right so if you think about how long it took for humans to sprout up well there could be potentially other planets in the universe that had billion uh, at least a billion years head start if not several billion years of a head start compared to us so when you think about that that's pretty crazy you know cuz so the Fermi paradox is like the numbers show that we should be seeing aliens everywhere and intelligent signs of intelligent life everywhere, but it's a paradox because we're not and we just don't know. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely strange, but I definitely do agree. Didn't they find like some uh, bacteria? I think it was on Mars or something like that that proved like technically there was life. I've heard. I feel like some, I've heard this or seen an article about this somewhere. Yeah, and that's that's where it gets me thinking. I'm like, yeah, there there must be like alien life. Just probably not in the way we think of it. Well, we we already know that there's definitely been water on Mars at a mm-hmm. certain point in time. So to think that there was potentially water on Mars maybe a billion years ago or however long it was. And water is basically, as we know, the one cornerstone of, of life. Um, the source. There's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things to wonder about and ponder about on that. But... Here's, here's kind of the way I see it, man. Why do we limit ourselves to thinking that life can only be created through water? What if there's other species that can be intelligent that only operate on methane? You know, there's there's definitely forms of bacteria um, that live in thermo, thermal vents at the bottom of the ocean, and their fuel source is not water, it's methane. You know, are we so naive to think that there can't be an intelligent form of species Billions of years ahead of us that doesn't need water to operate. Maybe there's the, maybe there's a, a species that operates on nitrogen instead of oxygen. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, we definitely have bacteria here that do that. But uh, why do we think that only intelligent life has to operate on oxygen and water? That's true. And at first I thought you said meth. So I had to take a second <laughs> take. I was like, what? <laughs> Adderall? What? <laughs> um, so, yeah, man. So, Space Force. That's interesting. Yeah. And also, like, another fun fact. Like, they... The Space Force, the show, is battling against U.S. Space Force, like, the branch for the trademark name. Because, mm. so that that's what they're trying to figure out as well. It's just, like, if the Netflix show wins the trademark, that they're going to have, you know, the U.S. Army's government's going to have to Yo, change the name. How crazy would that be? I feel like the, the government would definitely win. Yeah, they, don't they, aren't they in charge of that? Like, uh, I think so. I don't know. Let me ask you this, bro. Would you live on Mars if Elon wanted you to be one of the first to go? If he hit you up personally and was like, hey, Chris, we've looked at your background. We've looked at your qualities. And even though you might not see it, we believe you'd make a great fit to be on the first crew to go to Mars. You're going to be one of the first humans to inhabitate, inhabitat, in, inhabit, inhabit that yeah. new planet. You're going to be a pioneer for the human species. Would you go? Ooh. I, but I feel like he would tell that to like 100 other people. Like, <laughs> you're the one I'm reaching out personally. Like, I think you're a good fit. Yeah. And in reality, like, you know, the fact that you sound like every girl who's skeptical of fuck boys. I'm just one of your many girls. You sent that text. How many other girls did you text today? That same thing. See, (laughs) and this is where like also like him not willing to go there Mm. because he knows it's like most likely if I go up there, there's a good chance if I'm the first one, I'm going to die. So well, you're going to die regardless. Well, yeah. But how long does it take to get to Mars? Um. Well, my only reference is from that movie Rocket Man from the '90s. You ever seen that movie? You gotta watch it. It's a it's a classic. It's hilarious. Um, and they go to Mars, uh, and they I think they spent 18 months in like 
a cryogenic sleep of some sort. Um, and so I don't, I don't know, I, at least a few years with our current that's technology. Yeah. Yeah. I would just carry a, a picture of my dog. And you just, that's like me sending you in, in your, in your car with no oxygen and a few seeds. And I say, you have to go out into the middle of the desert and you just got to survive with these seeds that we give you. I don't give you any, I give you, you have to drink filtered urine for water. You oh, know, Jesus. you have to use your fucking own waste as like compost to grow plants and shit. Yeah. I mean, uh, if I, if it really came down to it, I would only if I was like in a really, I guess I, I, not to sound so depressing. It's just like, if I had nothing to live for and I was just like, uh, like you crazy no, motherfucker, dude, I, would, I would do it. I'd just say, you know what? Fuck it. I would never go, dude. I don't know. Maybe who knows? There's that one point zero zero one percent chance that I'll make it to Mars alive. Yeah. But then from there, I'd still probably just. I want to know what Elon Musk knows. Not a, not everything, but as far as like space, mm. because I'm so curious. We've already been talking about it for a little bit. I wonder if he knows more than the general person as far as like secrets that the government doesn't want to. get. Oh, out. related to the government. Yeah. Mm. What if he's like just slowly putting the thing together? Like slowly hmm. from what he from the information that he's got and he's slowly putting a picture together on his own yeah i don't fucking know man so let, let's kind of shift gears here man this is going back to some of the current events going on riots looting mm-hmm. hashtag black lives matter one guest that i really want to get on and i highly recommend any part anybody who's watching or listening to this podcast right now if you haven't already go to netflix all right and check out the uh, docu-series, not the docu-series, it's like a, a show, right? But it documents what actually happened in the in the perspective of the people who experienced it. It's called When They See Us, right? Because mm-hmm. I'll be honest, man, I have a lot of sympathy and, and, and um, I'm inspired by the whole Black Lives Matter movement, especially in 2020, right? This is a very relevant topic today. And, and honestly, man, there's not a, I don't believe there's a single person who genuinely uh, doesn't think that what happened was atrocious with the whole police brutality. 100%. Everybody is on the same side as this, right? Mm. And I feel like even the majority of the cops right now are probably on the right side of this this debate, but they're in a position to where because they are a cop, they have to follow the orders that they are given. Right. And so it's, it's a weird time. And, and this is kind of relevant new, re, new, new news as of like the last few days. Um, but Baker Mayfield, um, white quarterback for the Browns and JJ Watt, white defensive end for the Texans. All right. They are both already kind of come out and said that they plan to kneel during the national anthem of the 2020 and 2021 football season that starts here in September ish. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are, kind of like wondering, is this the right move for them? It's a lot of people support them. A lot of people are unsure. Um, so I don't know. What are, what are your, some of thought, your thoughts on this? Honestly, with this, like recently, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of like ignorant pre, pre this, you know, yeah. with the thing with George Floyd. But like with everything that's going on, it's really made me think like, look at, because it, it comes down to system, uh, systematic racism, right? Mm. So now it's got me curious as to like investigating what type of politicians are saying what during these times? Because I feel like that that's going to have uh, the major impact. Our vote at the end of the day is going to mm-hmm. have more impact. And so I've really just been in a, in a phase of just kind of learning. And I feel like that'd be a cool kind of um, guest to have on the show is someone that is in politics within Arizona or something like that. And then it gets the people that are in Arizona so that 
They could yeah. have the power to vote for the right person yeah. and not the person that just says whatever or just really doesn't care at the end of the day for for us. My goal, if I can, is to get one of the exonerated five from the show when they see us from the real life experience of what that show depicts on the podcast. Because I want someone who has real in first person perspective on this because me being a half white, half Asian guy grew up in, in Kansas um, in the middle, upper middle class. Right. I have not had it rough by any means compared to um, many of the the black people in this country who have dealt with police brutality or just racial profiling, systematic racism. And, and honestly, I think 2020 is a breaking point. Something's got to change. We're all on the same page here. Something's got to be improved. Something's got to change, whether it's with the police and having better requirements for who can even get in, who can become a police. And honestly, I believe, man, I know a lot of people, even from my own hometown, people I went to high school with who literally just didn't have any ambitions or goals, didn't know what they wanted to do with their life. So what do they do? They became a local police officer, right? And I just wonder how many people who just had no direction, became police officers because it was a fallback career. And I think that's where we go wrong. The people who are protecting the general population, the people who are who are who have the power to do the things that they did and, have, and are abusing it, we need to do a better job at filtering who can even get there in the first place. Because think about it like this, Navy SEALs, right? It's harder to become a Navy SEAL than it is to get into the NBA. Statistically, you're going to, you're less likely, you're more likely to get in the NBA or the NFL than you are to become a Navy SEAL, right? How crazy is that? But we can get people who just drop out of college, never went to college. They're becoming cops because they don't have anything else to do. Just go to the police academy, get a degree. We need to make becoming a police officer something that's not only respectable, but something that people have to work for. Why does someone have to study their ass off and work their ass off and compete against so many people just to get into medical school or dental school or become an athlete. Why don't we have the same standards for our police? You know, mm -hmm. I just believe that we need to do a better job at getting higher quality applicants for the police. It has to be more competitive. It has to be something that you have to actually work towards something. You yeah. got to actually set goals and strive towards and have discipline towards, right? I would have never gotten into dental school if I didn't say I need to improve my grades and I had to get like five or six 4.0s in a row. I had to push myself. I had to dig deep and see what I was really made of. People who become police officers, it seems like anybody who can pass a fucking background test can get in. I don't like that. Yeah, and it's like also comes down to like what type of culture does that create? And we're, we're witnessing what culture that creates, right? Like, so it does come down to like, the, the police officers at, at starting the lowest, it, at, depending from county to county, but here I'm seeing 21K for their salary, yearly salary. And then the highest they could go is 82K. Yeah. So it's like also like the pay and then like how easy it is to get in. I just think a bunch of factors contribute and it's just about really enforcing that. Like you said, make it like the Navy SEAL mentality. Mm. If they were to bring that to the police force, I feel like it would create a good culture. Yeah. And you yeah. would see different like they, then they would have something to lose right like because right now it feels like the cops don't really have nothing to lose because they're in power like they're just like oh paid leave we'll yeah. review your case yeah and it's like it's like as an entrepreneur just to even get successful in business i have to learn not only how to manage myself but also manage my emotions and also keep moving the needle forward a cop he becomes a cop and he just has to not publicly fuck up and he'll have his job he'll have his tenure he'll get his fucking i saw i heard someone i believe it was uh brendan schaub i think comedian podcaster 
I believe I heard him talking about this. There's cops that when you reach, uh, I think I forget what point in your career, whether it's 20 or 25 years, let's say you, you work your way through this, the ranks of, of police, whatever it is, you increase your salary goes up over time. And I think after about 25 years, when you retire for the rest of your life, you get paid the same salary, even though you retired that you made, that you did your final year as that cop when you reach that certain milestone. Right. And so I don't know. It seems like, yeah, the whole career of being a police officer, it seems like a safe route. It seems like a good route that pe- and a respectable route that people can fall back onto. But why is it something that people can fall back onto? Why can't it be something that people have to strive forward for? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think you'll just naturally get higher quality people and people who are less likely to go on power trips. Cause you think about it like this, Dean Graziosi said it best. And this is not about the police stuff, but when I used to work on Dean's marketing team, he was talking about compliance and like the FTC and how the FTC is cracking down on, on scammy online entrepreneurs, right? It's never okay to scam people, but the FTC, they intentionally, intentionally leave the rules and the guidelines vague. So that way they can go after whoever they want. For example, you see testimonials and success stories everywhere to help sell people's products and services, right? But the FTC technically says your your testimonial, it can't be the best testimonials you got. The only testimonials that are compliant are if it shows the average for every single person who buys that that offer, that book or whatever it is, right? And so most people are showing, oh yeah, this person made $100,000 in a week. This person made whatever it is. None of that stuff is compliant, but also the way they word it is intentionally vague so the FTC can go after whoever they want. And the way Dean said it, um, cause he's like, I know it sounds like their rules and regulations suck, but honestly think about where these people are coming from. These are the people who were the hallway monitor in middle school, nobody fucking liked them. They had, they so they became a hallway monitor so they can give detention so they get people in trouble and feel a sense of uh, significance and power, right? And so you think, take that hallway mon- monitor, uh, little kid who's probably bullied by a lot of people, um, not well-liked because they have power and they use it and hold it over people so they can feel significance. That person grows up, he becomes a police officer. He becomes a leader of the FTC. And now they have free reign to go after whoever they want and express their power to find, almost like get vengeance on others, right? And we have to have a system, whether it be it psychological or be it they have to, they have to prove themselves in some way through their own actions over time to, to show that they are worthy of that position. You know, I feel like bare minimum, we should be able to elect who is, who is going into our police forces. We should be able to vote on that. We should be like, imagine if all the people, all the black people who are afraid, like Brandon Carter on his Instagram story said the other day, I'm afraid to have a car in New York city because I just know when you get pulled over, there's a possibility that you could have some shit go down because you didn't keep your hands on the wheel, right? As a white person, I've never had to have the fear of like, when I get pulled over, I better have my hands on the wheel and at in sight at all times or else this police could get the wrong idea, right? If the black people or anybody who's afraid of the cops are able to vote in who they actually want to be defending their town, their city, I think things like this should be things that can definitely at least offer a potential solution that's better than what we're doing now. You know, and I'm not a politician. I And I have, I don't even feel like I have the right to be expressing my emotions on this, even though I have my own thoughts and my own hot take on it. Honestly, man, the people who have, 
the people who need to be speaking up are doing what they can, which is peaceful protesting, right? And I think now we need people who are actually in politics, who are politicians, who are going to run for governor, for any position of power to where now they can actually create real change, real change that actually moves the needle forward for society, not just like logistically, but emotionally too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's exactly what I was saying about like the power is in the vote. Like who are we electing and who are we allowing to stay in if they show that they're just on their ass, don't really – don't really care about the people, right? Don't really care about the community. And I really feel like also that's another thing. It's like with the cops, like, uh, like I, I still respect them. Don't don't get me wrong. Like being a cop is hard, right? But at, at the end of the day, it's also we do need to have cops that are in, in within the community that are there to help. And there there are these cops, but it's it feels like it's it's so far and, and few in between. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, man, like I feel like at this point, even though that we're talking about it today, mm-hmm. um, people have been talking about it for weeks. So none yeah. of this stuff is new. But I think agreed. The only reason I bring it up is because I I think it's just proof, more proof that everybody here, most of the people here are on the same page. And not just you and me, but like everybody, white, black, purple, brown, doesn't fucking matter. We all agree something needs to change. And how yeah. ironic is it that 2020 is a voting year? It's an election year. We have the power to create the real change that we need right now. But even me, like I've said it before, like I didn't even vote in 2016 because I didn't feel educated enough. To, to want to even submit my vote because I didn't know enough about politics to where I felt like my opinion should have any Impact. sway on this, right? Yeah. Right? No matter where I would have voted, I, if it's an uneducated vote, I didn't think it was worth it. Now, be it the recent events, be it that I'm also four years older, I'm more mature at this point, and I realize what are some of the trickle-down effects of the people who are in office, not only at the highest level, like the president in the White House, but also in your fucking city, yeah. the impact that that can have on you, and just seeing how the different governors of the different states are handling the whole shutdown of, of everything going on right now, and even the riots and the protesting, the differences of how people are handling this, I think it's really spotlighting who's a good leader and who's not. Exactly. Who, who can handle the pressure and who can't, right? And so right now, I don't think it's, I don't even think it's acceptable anymore to do what I did four years ago and just remain uneducated and leave it at that. At this point, you have to be educated on who's fucking running your city, who's fucking running your country, and you have to have an educated vote because other than that, you can't sit back and I'm talking to myself too. If you sit back and you're not happy with the way things are, well, you didn't do what you did. You could to make your voice heard, to make you what you wanted, you know, be a lasting change in the society. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's like, that's where the real action comes through. Right. Cause at this point it's like all talk and all raising awareness, which is good, but it doesn't mean anything if there's no follow up. Right. And that's where I've been feeling urgent and I've been feeling confused as to like, like who the, I just moved to Arizona, but I have to like get um, register for here, the, the County and all that. But it's like, I don't even know where to begin of like, who is, mm. who's in control? Like who's even running, yeah. you know, for the local, have you ever uh, experienced meeting a cop or a police officer that, to in your opinion, they were abusing their power? Personally, no. Really? Not, yeah. Like, I, I've had very little run-ins with the, with the police, though mm. I only got, like, one traffic ticket my whole life. Really? Yeah, so. Even in, well, I, you didn't go to college, did you? Uh, For, for like, three years, yeah. Mm. You didn't even see any, like, college cops, like, trying to arrest college kids and, like, 
tackling them and shit. No, because I came from a very like low key town, mm. so it was like very just out in the in the Central Valley, and it was just like a bunch of farms and yeah. people were kind. And I know, I know there was like, oh, that reminds me, there there was. I think there was like one time I did see a KKK meetup like out in the fields. Mm. Shit was crazy because I remember uh, my my friend my friend's girlfriend was going out uh, out of the country and we went to drop her off and then on the way back we were going and in the fields all we see is a bunch of people in white robes standing around like a fire that looked like a cross and I honestly at that moment I was scared and we were just all like what the fuck is that you, you saw this yeah like when was this this was three how old am I three like three years ago roughly really yeah and so that's like the only the only time like i'm assuming it was like the kkk because i i know they're they're out there right like yeah so because it was like at 2 3 a.m right just a bunch of people standing out so so i was just like but other than that i haven't really you know seen anything and that's why i say like i was ignorant like uh, until the recent events where like yeah i'm actually going out and just trying to figure shit out of who who to actually vote for right yeah um Kind of on a side tangent here, um, did you hear about the new, I guess, video that was uploaded with Dave Chappelle kind no. of recently? No. So there's this video uh, going around YouTube. This morning, it was number seven trending. And it was already at like 16 million views after only a few days. Um, let me see if I can find it. It's I don't want to mess up the title here. 846. Dave Chappelle, that's the name of it, 846, like the time. And it's kind of just his hot take on all the shit going on right now with society, especially with the whole protests and the George Floyd situation. Um, and it's amazing, man, because just kind of like how we are a little bit unfiltered on this podcast, this guy is very, very unfiltered, and he's ex- able to express his opinions in a way that actually influences people in the right way, in my opinion, right? One example is a stand-up uh, act, little hour-long set that he had on Netflix. I forget the name of it. Oh, the, but that's his, like, most recent one, right? There, Well, this is technically the most well, recent one. Before this one, though. Yeah, it was relatively recent, where he was kind of... He had jokes about the LGBTQ community, the right? PC culture. And a lot of people were, and like, you know, easily offended people. And a lot of people got offended, but even more people respected the hell out of him for it and realized that you can actually laugh about some of these things, right? And, and especially someone like Dave Chappelle, um, I, the note I wrote down is Dave Chappelle is literally one of the greatest role models of our age because um, here's a man who was offered shitloads of money to to for from Comedy Central during the Chappelle Show days, and he stopped all of it because he wasn't happy or fulfilled with what he was doing. Turned down the money, goes to Africa for several years, and then comes back, um, just kind of like doing things on his terms, right? And and I respect the hell out of that because he he's never been. You can just tell by his actions over the last however many years. This is a man who's not only great at what he does, he takes the craft of what he does very seriously. He also understands the importance of the influence that he has on his audience. And also he's never willing to sacrifice his own values for what he truly believes in. Right. And so hearing his hot take on this, hearing him talk about how change needs to happen and, and kind of like the absurdity 
uh, of some of the arguments going against, you know, you know, for the police and against the whole protest movement. Mm -hmm. It it is also one of those pieces that I feel like is very, very eye opening that everybody should watch. You know, everybody should hear this. Um, I don't know. What are you, what are your, some of the thoughts? I I know you haven't seen this, but, um, one thing that comes to mind is just like, at the end of the day, like this isn't just very black and white. Mm. I, I feel like there's, there's like a middle ground almost, right? Like there's no, the, the reason why I feel like this is just like how I mentioned earlier, like I don't have anything against cops. Like I still respect them because mm. I feel like they're, they're, they're valuable, but just maybe they're the, well, just the way it's being executed is not the right way. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of like, as far as I could kind of comment, right. commentate cause I haven't seen it. Right. Well, that's the thing is like, I definitely also res- have a respect for cops. Not only cause I know people who are police officers from my hometown, guys I went to high school with, like I said, but also because I can't imagine what society would be like if we didn't have someone enforcing the law on a town to town level. You know what I'm saying? It's absolutely necessary, but what needs to change is the process of who we let get into that position of power and how they're able to handle that power. You know, one thing that I was talking about with my girlfriend is like, at what point are you crossing the line uh, of physical brute force? You know what I'm saying? Like the whole George Floyd situation obviously crossed the line. But, you know, to some degree, these cops also need to be able to defend themselves because sometimes people don't have the best intentions for that interaction with that cop, right? So if you think about it, these cops are trained to be able to assess situations and respond accordingly. And so because of that training, right, and so I think maybe even the training needs to be improved, uh, and I have no idea how that would happen, right? But think about it like this, right? You're a cop, even if you're a good-intentioned person, you're trained to expect the unexpected. You're trained that this person could pull out a gun and shoot you in the blink of an eye. So you have to be able to assess the situation and know. And so that's why you get these cops who are quick to pull the trigger because they're always on edge. Imagine just being on edge 24-7 every single minute that you're on the job. Over time, yeah, if you're on edge, someone says something that you don't like or they don't cooperate, you've been on edge for the last five, six years and you're a young 20-something, you know, you're going to snap. You're going to cross the line. So we need to also come up with, and this is just my own opinion, what is the line that they can't cross, right? Because at a certain point, it should not be okay for someone who is already detained to be held down by four police officers and one of those guys to be willing to have his knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. That's why he named it that, Uh, right? That's crossing the line. But also there needs to be a line and it needs to be clearly established. How, what amount of force is too much? What amount yeah. of force is absolutely necessary? Yeah. And, and that's true. Cause it's like at the end of the day, they have the power of, to say like, Oh, what, where the line lands. Right. And I don't think that's like, we see the effects. Like it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And even here in some of these situations where people are getting shot, even in recent news and it, the police officers had their body cams turned off right? That it's unacceptable, right? That's something that should be punished, right? You should, everything should be documented and thank God for the fucking smartphone or, you know, things like this would never see the light of day. It would you know be, what I'm saying? Yeah, it would go unnoticed. And yeah. I'm sure many of it has like when there's like not enough people around to kind of document that type of thing, right? Mm. Because this was just out in public, but imagine what happens in behind closed doors. Right, right. Um, I think in my day, the only two people specifically come to mind who were in a position of power because they were police and clearly 
were abusing their power. One first experience I had with this, um, like I said, I grew up in Leavenworth, Kansas, military town. My dad's retired lieutenant colonel. So we'd go on to the fort. And at the fort, especially after 9-11, before 9-11, there weren't people checking IDs for every person coming on. It was more relaxed. It was more relaxed. As soon as 9-11 happened, the fort, they have military police at the entrance. You can't even get onto the base without them seeing your ID. Or and if you and if you have a civilian ID and not a military ID, they have to know exactly where you're going and how long you're going to be there, uh. right? But I remember, so this is like right after 9/11, within the few years after that. So I'm like, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. My dad is taking me onto Fort one morning because we're going to the hospital there, and uh, I think I had a doctor's appointment of some sort, and. Um, this military military police officer, ironically, he had the same stash as Hitler. So he had a Hitler stash. He kind of looked like Hitler. And he was even as intense as Hitler. He was directing cars because it's busy. You know, it's rush hour in the morning and people are trying to get on base. And he's directing cars. He's like, no, 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 nine, 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 nine. Just fucking Hitlering it up. And he's going intense and he's yelling at people. And he's yelling at people in their cars, drivers, because they're not in the right line or they're not moving fast enough. And my dad, I've never, my dad retired when I was born. So this is like 12, 13 years after he retired. And he just goes full Lieutenant Colonel on this motherfucker, rolls down his window. He's like, soldier, this is unacceptable. And like, choose his fucking ass out. And this guy who had the, he looked just like Hitler and he was yelling at everybody. He's in a piss off mood. Instantly his face goes blank. He's like, and his face is pale. His skin is pale because he's scared. He doesn't know who the fuck my dad is. Um, my dad could be someone important. Obviously, my dad highly outranked this guy. Yeah. Um, so that's a person who I believe in a position of power and feels like, oh, I can direct these people wherever I want. If they're not doing what I want, I get mad at them, right? That's a person who we need to be able to immediately recognize and go, he doesn't belong here, you know? The second person that, so I've actually, this is why I'm surprised that you never had an experience with maybe a cop who was crossing the line of pushing their power too much. Um, there was another guy and you always know it's like the buff dudes, the overly buff dudes. Because why do they get buff? Because they're insecure. They have to feel like they're bigger than everybody else, right? So this guy, huge motherfucker, right? He's like 6'5", probably 260 of just solid muscle. I'm an 18-year-old kid in a college town, first year, first few months away from home. Um, and he's like yelling at kids at this house party. Um, it wasn't even a house party. It was just walking down the sidewalk on a Friday night, yelling at people, trying to like almost trying to pick fights with people, myself included. I, I happened to just walk by and this cop's yelling at me and he's like maybe a few years older than me, jacked as fuck and just almost picking fights with people for no reason. Just everyone that comes down this. That's a motherfucker who doesn't need to be a cop, right? So it happens. But I think people like that, think about what causes that. I think being myself as a coach, as a person who sees people like this every single day, especially in the dating space, who come to me for dating advice, you see how childhood trauma or childhood experiences, getting bullied, whatever it is, it causes a deep-seated insecurity that allows this person, this kid with insecurities to grow up, become an adult, get in a position of power, and now he's able to exert his vengeance on the people who maybe he feels like he didn't have power over before, right? And so those are the people we need to be able to catch, whether it's a fucking psychological test. I know they do psychological tests, background checks, but something needs to change. Those people do not belong in positions of power like that. So how do we filter through the those people? How do we keep people like that out? How do we keep these people accountable to where when they do start crossing the line, we can bring them back down? 
you know? Yeah. And like you said, I feel like a lot of it does come down to pressure. Like ultimately, like how, what percentage of the cops can actually deal with real life pressure when it comes mm. to it? Cause I remember seeing a YouTube video. I don't know if it was life PD or what, or it was a body cam, but this one cop was just going out. Uh, they got a call and it was out in the country and they were handling it. Then all of a sudden a gun is pulled and he was just so scared and like, he didn't know what to do. And ultimately he had to react and like, he just stood there frozen he didn't know he shot it and he was just like shooting, but it, it was out of like just anxiety and, and just pressure that he couldn't handle. And so it wasn't until like the E cause there was an EMT there as well. The EMT grabbed the gun and he was shooting back at the person that shooting, that was shooting at them. Damn. So it, it just goes to show like pressure, like not everyone is dealt to handle pressure. Yeah. So it's like, how could we fix that? Yeah. That's the, that's the conversation we should be having. And I'm yeah. sure it's had. Yeah. Um, on a more positive note, man, when do you, uh, do you watch any sports on TV, bro? Mm, nah, if any, I, I recently started getting into like UFC, but yeah, yeah. I mean, UFC is crushing it right now. Uh, cause they're still doing fights even though none, none of the other sports are, are participating in anything. Oh yeah. Have right. you, have you ever done like any like mixed martial arts or anything like that? Karate? That's a good question. So I actually have a black belt second degree in Hapkido. Whoa. Which is, is it's Taekwondo. It's, it's related to Taekwondo. It's like an offshoot, but it's more self-defense related. And so it's more like using your momentum. It's almost like judo, but like in a Taekwondo, it's like a hybrid between judo and Taekwondo, mm. you know? And so I use a lot of your momentum, a lot of pressure mm. points, um, really in the act of self-defense. And so when I was getting my black belt and th I think there's like, I forget the amount of belts. So I got my black belt when I was 10 and I think I stopped altogether when i was like 12 because oh. i just kind of went all in on basketball at that point in my life but you know it, we're doing practicing like if someone has a fake rubber knife and they try to stab you or and how do you take the knife how do you use their momentum against you disarm them things like that so it's have you ever heard of krav maga krav maga i've heard of it but i've never looked into it's, it it's it sounds similar to that to where it puts you up against like a real life situation mm. and it's it's supposed to train you to like not even be stretched, right? Like some people, some people just go in there just cold turkey. Yeah. Because in real life situations, you don't have that. You know, you don't have that time to stretch and warm up and just to prep. Mm. So it's supposed to be for more like real life scenario. Yeah, I mean, I think regardless of how much I practice the the fucking, uh, I forget what the name of it was, but there was a name for each move that you learn. Mm -hmm. Um, and you had to learn like five or six moves for each belt, and they all built on top of each other. And so, uh, so that was, it was, it was fun, but I think the biggest benefit that I got from that, and honestly, regardless of what martial art in my limited experience from early on in life, earning a back black belt in this, um, I believe that the, the best thing you can do to improve your skills is actually sparring people. Cause every class, even though we'd practice the technical stuff at the end of the day, we would also start sparring each other mm. and there was a point system and things like that. That was when the shit got real and you put your real, all the real skills kind of came out. I was talking to a buddy about this. I forgot who it was the other night. Um, but I believe thinking back to childhood experiences and how they shape you as a human, I believe any confidence I had as a kid was probably built in karate class or in Hapkido because I remember my school bully. I, I might've told you this story. 
I forget. I, I, I remember his name. I don't want to say it because I, I, I'm pretty sure he's alive. I looked yeah. him up recently <laughs> and I looked him up. And when I looked him up, I found out he was actually in jail, which doesn't surprise me because I went to an all like a Christian school um, growing up all the way up until middle school. And so even, even up until middle school, when I got into middle school is when I stopped going to the Christian know, uh, stop going to the Christian school, but also stop working on the martial arts. Oh, um, so around the same time, but even at my Christian school, this kid, I'd never seen anybody get suspended from that school except for this kid. Cause he was just that. I, I want to just say evil. He was an evil person deep down. Like this child just, was evil. He just seeked like chaos, just fucking people, fucking with people, hurting people, making fun of them, cussing at people as a kid, you know, and some of these kids had never even heard these cuss words before. Right. Oh, just so he was one of those radiated negative energy, you know, yeah. and it, which is why I'm not surprised that he's in jail today. Um, but uh, I considered him somewhat of a bully. He was a year older than me um, and we were in the same karate class and his dad and my dad were kind of friends because they're both military guys. And so I would have to go to to state competitions in, in a car with this kid and then I'd have to take class with this kid two or three times a week. And when we would spar, spar, I remember my first almost like role model and mentor, he was a guy named Kenny. He was in my class and he was like the, the older kid. And I was like six, seven, eight years old. And Kenny was like 14, 15, 16. And Kenny would, he basically took me under his wing. He would give me advice. And one night we were sparring. It was like Tuesday night class. And I had to get, I, I got paired with, by the instructor up against the bully, the bully. I almost said his name and Kenny kind of pulled me aside. He was like my coach in, in my corner. So in between rounds, if you will, he would give me advice. And he said, all right, so here's what I want you to do. When this guy, the bully, comes at you, um, I want you to kick him in the chest because use his momentum as he's coming into your fucking foot. Oh. And he said, uh, and he said we're going to prove that like you're bigger than this kid, right? <laughs> Not like physically, but emotionally as a person. And I'm like seven, eight years old, right? And so I remember uh, I literally did that. Uh, we were sparring for a little bit, punches, kicks, whatever. And then he came at me like Kenny said he would. And I just fucking stuck my foot out, kicked him right in the chest, knocked the wind out of him, and he had to stop. He was out. You know, uh, didn't knock him out, but he had to stop sparring me because he was just out of breath, like on the ground, bent over crying. He was just wheezing. And that moment, I think, is one of those crucial moments in a childhood where that builds your confidence. You overcame the bully. It's like the karate kid, the movie, you know? Yeah. And that's something that uh, recently I've been looking into like a judo gym, like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Cause I kind of want, I'm, I'm, I want to get into it. I've always want, I've been wanting to for a couple years, but I'm like, why not just bite the bullet? Yeah. Yeah. But I wonder how it's going to be with the whole, you know, the whole disease going on. I don't want to say <laughs> get demonetized or anything. Well, but. I mean, you got to think like, how are these UFC fighters training right now? I, I'm guessing a lot of these gyms are doing testing for you to even come in because you're physically some, getting, yeah. With, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Another interesting moment that I had with that, that same bully, we were at school. So I think this actually happened prior, which is why Kenny, that it kind of led up to the fucking climax. It was literally like the, now that I'm talking about like it, it's the like the movie, kid. the karate kid, right? <laughs> And this guy even had blonde hair too, so kind of like the the bad kid from the Karate Kid. Um, literally at school, it's like after school, and we're in the daycare area where we're waiting for our parents to come pick us up from work, right? And school is over. Um, I remember when I first got into martial arts, I had 
I had begged my dad to sign me up for it because I was obsessed with the Power Rangers. And as a kid, I wanted to be the kid who was able to use my powers for good, just like one of the Power Rangers. And so I wanted to learn how to fight like the Power Rangers, but I also wanted to learn how to use it for good. And so when I would see kids getting bullied, I would put a stop to it, like at school. And use, and I felt confident in my ability to do that because I had been trained with you know, being in martial arts mm-hmm. and learning self-discipline, self-defense. And I remember even though this guy, he was in my, I almost said his name again. He was in my class. He was also always the kid who was bullying other kids he using that shit, yeah. you know, for, for bad. And so I remember he was bullying this girl and uh, we're about to go out to recess and we're, and he, this girl's in line. This girl's waiting in line and I see this guy, he's picking on her as she's like, as we're all lining up waiting to go outside for like recess or something. And I walk up to him and I say, hey, stop that. Stop being mean. That's not right. Or something like that. I'm, a, I'm just a kid, right? Yeah. A little kid. And I remember I turned around and I walked away and I could feel, I just knew he was going to come and try to hit me. I just knew it. And so I was like, how cool would it be if I turn around and I caught his fucking hand? Kind of like Mr. Biagi catching the fucking fly, the fly with the chopsticks, bro. And so I remember I took about five steps away and I'm walking to the end of the line. And I, I just in my head, guess just by feel, just by pure intuition. And I turn around and I literally, I, I'm not making this up. This is hundred percent true. I turn around and I go, ah, and I caught his hand. He was coming down to strike me and I caught his hand mid air, bro. Jesus. Just like no look, bah, caught it. Did you feel like a power ranger at that I point? I did, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to hear the, the other shit that I did that didn't work out uh, as far as trying to be a power ranger. Um, I, as a kid, as a five-year-old kid, this is an embarrassing story, damaging emission. I, I didn't have a Power Ranger suit. My parents bought me one, um, and I started wearing it around the neighborhood all the time. There's the Red Ranger. But before I had that, I was like, well, if I, my, here's my kid logic. Well, if I don't have a Power Ranger suit, what's the next best thing? And I was like, well, what do they wear under their suits? I bet they're naked. <laughs> so I would literally, as a five-year-old kid, strip naked, broad daylight, all the kids are running around outside, and I'd be butt-ass naked, and I would go into the middle of the street and just stop traffic. And then I just tell them to keep going. <laughs> and then I would run around with the kids and I would treat the kids like they were evil. And I would just like start kicking the air. Like I was just fucking weirdo. As a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the, the, the parents in the neighborhood be like, PJ, they call me PJ, Patrick James, motherfucking Patrick James. I'd be like, PJ, go get dressed. Go put some clothes on. Go inside. Where are your parents? I don't know where my parents are at. Where the fuck? Why do my parents allow this to happen? <laughs> and so... Yeah, so it Jesus. doesn't. It didn't always work out in my favor, but the yeah, there was a couple of times. But the confidence was there. The confidence, the confidence. was there. <laughs> Even to this day, I never felt trauma from that experience. I always thought it was funny. Yeah. I, at the time, I was scared because I didn't know what was going on. But yeah. So you were more. So that was like nor- the normal to you, just like just going out. I mean, I think back to my childhood in the in the '90s. I was born in 1990, uh, and. I just feel like I had way more freedom than I would ever allow my child to have in the sense that I don't know why my parents thought it was, maybe this was just the mentality in the eighties and nineties. Cause I feel like a lot of kids got kidnapped more so than they do today in the eighties and nineties. Um, because I lived in a big ass neighborhood and I'm an only child and my parents are letting me roam around the neighborhood by myself unsupervised. With other kids? Or On a regular sometimes basis. Just like by sometimes I would just walk out the door and just go outside. Like a little adult. I'd go walking through the fucking woods by myself. I, yeah, like, you just... And I, I would talk to random adults. I remember there's this one time 
you know, four houses down from me. And I, I was obsessed with riding bikes as a kid. Sixth grade, first grade, I would dream and, and daydream in class, in, in middle or first grade class, I can't wait to get home and ride my bike. I can't wait to get home and ride my bike, right? And I remember I hated my driveway because my driveway had, you know, a little bump. You know, the driveway's a little bump at the bottom of the driveway. And so I thought it wasn't a smooth ride for my bike. And I wanted my driveway to be smooth like some of the driveways where you just go up, right? And I saw this concrete truck was three houses down and they were smoothing out the, the bump at the bottom of their driveway. Oh. And I went up to them as a fucking kid riding my bike and I'm young as fuck. I'm like five, six years old playing by myself on like a random fucking Saturday or something. And I'm like, Hey, are you going to do my driveway? These two men fucking shitty ass people. I hope these people are in jail. Um, these, these two men who are running the concrete truck, they're like, Oh, well, which house are you? And I pointed to my house and they're like, well, let me check. No, we're not going to that driveway. Hey, do you want to come with us and, and we'll help us work for the day? I remember I sat in their, I, I fucking sat in their concrete truck for an hour as they went around the neighborhood working on fucking houses, bro. And what these, the fuck? these two men, one of them was an older guy and one of them was a middle-aged guy. They were giving me Oreos and cookies and they were like, Hey, we just added a new kid to the roster. He's on the team. And they're acting like I'm, I'm part of the family now. And my mom finds me like two hours later, she's looking everywhere for me and she sees these fucking guys and I'm in their concrete truck. And she's like, yo, what the fuck are you doing with my son? And they, she chewed him out, walk home with her. She gets mad at me. And even as a kid, I didn't register what the fuck was going on. I'm just like, oh, they're nice to me. They're giving me treats, treats. you know, but as an adult, I'm like, what the fuck, dude, that is some sketchy ass shit, you know? And even as a, as a kid all the way up through middle school, from elementary school to middle school, even around this time when I was five, six years old, my school, this Christian ass school, private school, my parents paid for me to go there. And you would think a private school has money, right? Yeah. But this is an old ass building and they have no money. Everything's breaking down. And my parents are paying for me to go to this school. And every year, two or three times a year, they would recruit all the kids. You know how the ki- they had like seminars and motivational speakers come through? Yeah. No, this school had salesmen come through and they would teach kids how to go door to door and sell, sell magazine subscriptions and candy bars. And I would go door to door from like five years old all the way to like middle school. And even through high school, I was going door to door selling things for like sports teams. But as a little kid in the early nineties, you're letting me go around a big ass neighborhood by myself, door to door, going into random people's houses by myself as a kid, collecting money from people, trying to sell them things. Um, maybe that's why I became such a charismatic speaker as an adult who the fuck knows. But, um, man, Maybe I'm just, maybe it's the new age mentality, but I can never imagine having a a kid that grew up to be five years old. And I'm like, all right, have fun out there in the real world by your own fucking self. Like my, my dog who I got three years ago, two years ago is like two and a half years old. Right. So in a year and a half, I'm going to let that fucking dog roam around by itself. Hell no. (laughs) You ever have experiences like that as a kid? Uh, No, honestly, no. Um, Just because. I have a big family, so I had a lot of, like, kids to play with and stuff Mm. like that. And so it was, like, a regular Mexican household with a bunch of families living in it. I definitely had a lot of kids in my neighborhood. My neighborhood, if I could relate it to anything that you guys might understand, it's kind of like the movie The Sandlot. 
where all these kids lived in the neighborhood. They were all the same age. They all played sports together. They all did everything together. So maybe that's part of why my parents felt comfortable doing that is because the neighborhood was riddled with kids my age with parents who were upper middle class, retired military. So maybe they just trusted the people in the area. But yeah, man, Uh, here's another fucking scary story that I learned about last year, last Thanksgiving um, that my mom told me. And it just gave me so much anxiety thinking about I could never let my children do that, which is, um, which I don't have children any, like I don't plan to anytime soon, but I was two years old. My parents take me to Korea. So it's the first time I've been in Korea. I don't remember this. I was two years old. And my mom said she lost me for several hours in Seoul, Korea. And this is me and her driving to a restaurant for Thanksgiving dinner last year. Um, and I'm even taking James, who used to be on the team uh, with us, because James doesn't have family who was local. So me, my mom, and James, and she's telling me about when I was two, she lost me in Korea. And I'm like, wait, what? And she goes, yeah, I don't know. You just kind of walked off by yourself, and you went out the front door, and we didn't know where you're at for several hours. And I'm a two-year-old kid. I'm like, how the fuck did you find me? And she was like, well, we were looking everywhere for you. And we eventually just found you in the middle of the city, just roaming around talking to people and just interacting. So this was like city. Like it was like almost like downtown heavily populated Seoul, Korea. Yeah, bro. <laughs> what if, what if they, she would have never found you, man? Like how, like just the don't chances, give me that anxiety, bro. I'm just thinking like the chances of like, just, Hey, there you are. Yeah. Come here, my son. It's insane. Um, I was thinking about this last night. I hate when I think about this kind of shit. And I'm curious. Do you ever get like memories where you're like, oh, you, you just cringe thinking about that time in your yeah. life? Yeah, I hate I hate getting those memories. But even Kate gets them, so I feel like it's normal. But um, I was thinking about, I think it was last night. I have a lot of moments in my life where I could have easily died or never see my parents again. Jesus. You know, and it... I feel like a lot of people probably have things like that that they don't realize. Oh, you were like two inches away from getting fucking marked as a kid. Um, Because when my mom told me that story, I remember when I was seven. So I've only been to Korea twice. Once when I was two, once when I was seven. I don't remember when I was two. I do remember when I was seven. Um, And my parents were telling me about, hey, North Koreans, North Koreans are bad. And in my head, I'm thinking in the world of like, Power Rangers and evil villains. And so I'm like, are they evil spies? And my parents were like, yeah, they're evil spies. I'm like, you think they're, some of them are in South Korea? And they're like, yeah, probably. And uh, and they're telling me this as a seven-year-old who's curious. And so I just assumed any sketchy fucking Korean dude that we ran into was a spy, spy. from North Korea. <laughs> and um, I remember we were in a public bathroom at a train station in Korea. I'm seven. I'm with my dad in the men's bathroom. And... The bathrooms are already weird because rather than toilets, they have holes in the ground with a little fucking string that you pull from the ceiling and it flushes the thing down in this hole in the ground. So you got to squat just to fucking poop in this little hole in the ground in a public bathroom. Um, And that's just, it's normal over there. That's life. Yeah. And so um, I remember there, I I think now looking back on it, I think this is just a homeless guy. But after I got done washing my hands and I'm standing next to my dad, my dad's washing his hands. This, this guy, Korean guy, just wants to shake my hand. And he's like this, shake my hand. He was adamant to shake my hand. And in my head, I'm like, yo, this is a spy from North Korea and he's about to kidnap me. And, and my dad's just like, it's fine. Just shake his hand. It's fine. And I'm like, no, I'm not shaking his hand. And so when my mom told me that story, 
I, I remembered the fear I felt thinking this North Korean spy was going to kidnap me and I was never going to see my parents again. And I don't even remember being lost as a two-year-old, but I do know that I was that fucking little kid who was always just roaming around with no care about anything. You are living proof of Darwinism, the strongest survive. <laughs> <laughs> I am one of the strong. What, what makes you say that? Just based off all the stories that you're saying, like, that's true. Like, I personally, my parents were very, like, not protective, but they were aware of making sure, like, we didn't go out alone. You know, we didn't really talk to strangers or stuff like that. Yeah. So, like, just the fact to hear you, like, as a little kid, two-year-old kid, just conversating, getting lost, having the time of your life. Yeah. And you're still here. You know, it's also really ironic. I was, I guess you could say I had an extroverted personality as a kid. Mm -hmm. But from, like, age seven... So maybe after that second Korea trip, all the way to age like 23, I was very, very shy. And even I remember as a kid in the 90s, middle school, I see pictures of people smiling in pictures. I remember thinking to myself, I don't even know how to smile like that. I don't know. Like I didn't, I was so shy. I was afraid to smile for pictures, mm -hmm. you know? So it's crazy how like once I got into like the preteen years and even like the late um, elementary school age, I started getting really, really shy compared to when I was a kid. And, um, and I didn't, I don't, I don't feel like I opened back up until early twenties when I got into dating advice, which really made freed me um, from a personalist personality standpoint. Now I, I can talk all day, every day. I feel like the same way, honestly, when I was younger, I would hear stories about me doing some crazy shit, yeah. but like, like, it's just crazy. Cause like once I hit like middle school around that age, um, well, no, actually when I moved out to, to the hometown that I lived in Patterson, I was like in first grade mm. and that's really where I started to becoming more, a little bit more introverted just because like, I was like, Oh, bunch of strangers, yeah, new place, new environment. Yeah. What's your views on, on like introverted versus extroverted? Do you believe in all that stuff and the personality types? Yeah, I definitely believe it. But I, what I don't believe is like, if you're introverted, you can't be extroverted in certain situations. Like, I feel like there's a mixture again, it's not all black and white for sure. Cause I, I would honestly looking at what I like, I, I feel like I'm more introverted cause I like just being on my own mm. more silent. But at the same time, I don't really have problems speaking with people. Yeah. Like I could just have a conversation and at, at some level I do care for people. Like yeah. I, I'm empathetic. Yeah. You know, have you ever met one of those people who's like super into the Myers Briggs personality testing and they know all the 16 different types of personalities from the Myers Briggs and they know it inside and out and they cater and they literally typecast you based on what they think your personality type is. I have not met those people. Like the Briggs test is like the, like the weird, the letters, right? Like the I N F yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So I took that test twice over a couple of years and I got the same thing. I, I believe I'm the campaigner, the campaigner. Let me see. Personality. ENFP, ENFP. Mm. So extroverted, intuitive, feeler, perceiver. That's what it stands for. Um, and I only know this because I've talked to a buddy of mine who I definitely need to get on the podcast. His name is Daniel Karan. He's... Uh, he started a new clothing line called Pink Gorilla, and oh. and it's literally just a pink gorilla. <laughs> and um, literally, CeeLo Green was wearing his fucking merch the other day. Oh, like that's bad ass. Yeah. And so I want to get him on the podcast. He's the one who I showed you who has the uh, the subliminal affirmations. Oh, yeah. that's the same guy. Yep. 
So he's really big in their personality types. And I'll be honest, man, when I was in dental school, there's another personality test called the DISC, D-I-C, D-I-S-C personality test. And they were teaching it to us in class. And this is around the time I was already into dating advice. I was already in personal development. I was already kind of well-read at this point. And I t- looked at the guy, very respectable professor, seemed very knowledgeable on this topic. And I literally went into his office after, after class. Uh, and I, I was not trying to debate him, but I was just pointing out the flaws. And I was genuinely curious on his feedback because I was like, yo, so I read this book about the self-image called Psycho-Cybernetics. And I know that if I'm taking a personality test, i.e. the DISC personality test, which helps employers quickly assess your personality type and where you'd fit into my team, yeah, maybe it's good as a tool, but I don't want to call it an exact science, right? Because I can say, oh, this person tends to be more dominant, more outspoken, right? Yeah, I can look at tendencies. I can accept that. But for me to say, you are this, you are not this, you are not going to be like this because your test says you are this. That is, to me, flawed in its thinking because I was like, yo, if my self-image, think about it like this, if my self-image is I want to be an extroverted, outgoing guy because I believe that'll get me more of what I want in life and I and my ego feels better owning that label and kind of having that perception on myself, even if it's false and even if I'm not like that, my test score can show that because when I look at a question and it's it's always the questions where it's, it describes a situation and it's like strongly agree, agree, neutral, disagree, uh, strongly disagree. So you're, you're kind of answering it from that frame of mind of just like. Of what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it would be way more accurate if you had your peers take the test for you. And they had to know you a certain on a certain level, right? Yeah. I think that's where it would be more accurate because now my own ego and self-image isn't affecting the results here. Yeah, I feel like the exact same way because when I do take those tests, I'm just sometimes confused because <laughs> I confuse myself. I'm just like, am I am I this? Yeah. And then sometimes I do answer it out of ego like, yeah, yeah I want to be that. And the thing is, is like obviously like the self-image is always evolving. Mm-hmm. It's what you make it, right? Yeah. But, but there is definitely, I wouldn't call it an exact science. Yeah. Because there's that, always that human error. I uh, I was on a date once with this girl <clears throat> pre-meeting my girlfriend, Kate. It might have been one of the last dates I had before I got in a relationship. This girl I met on on that, on that the dating app Hinge. And uh, she was like my only match ever on Hinge. And she wanted to go on a date pretty mm-hmm. soon after we matched. And uh, I remember she was telling me she listens to podcasts. And at the time, <laughs> ironically, I just... I didn't think podcasts were like a serious thing, which is ironic because now I have a podcast and we're kind of going all in with it, right? And she listened to a podcast about personality typing and she was fascinated by it. And I remember she didn't hit me up afterwards. Uh, she we she didn't want to go on a second date, but even though the first date was great, I think it's because she we were talking about personality types and I told her about my experience of dropping out of dental school. And then I, I, was, I, I mentioned something I was like, Yo, after I dropped out of dental school, I was so determined to get this thing going um, that I probably wouldn't leave my apartment for a couple weeks at a time because I'd be working the whole time. And I remember kind of seeing a shift in her eyes where I'm like, oh, this girl who's obsessed with personality types just typed me as like some fucking introverted shell of a man type thing. And I was like, yo... This is this is why it's dangerous to be super into personality types and Myers Briggs and take it as absolute facts because I am very much not introverted. I would very much not prefer to be sitting in here all day, but sometimes you got to do what's required. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
And, and so that was just one of the experiences where I was like, yo, fuck this personality type shit. Um, but it is interesting at the same time. It's almost, I like to think of it as the same way that girls think of astrology. Like, what's your sign? Oh, you're a Capricorn. Oh, you're an Aries. <laughs> it's as fucking woo-woo as that shit. Oh, man. I I just can't get on that on that train with, uh, with the whole signs. The, yeah? Yeah. Right, what, what's your take on that? Well, I noticed very quickly when I got into the game, approaching a lot of women, that way more people, specifically women, are, are interested in astrology more than I would have ever guessed. Because I always thought it was just some fucking stupid thing that people take quizzes and magazines, but no, like some girls take this shit seriously. Um, even my girlfriend will talk about astrological signs sometimes in a way that's more serious than I would have ever guessed she would talk about them. Um, I personally don't believe in them at all. Um, but that's just me. Yeah. And I, what gets me kind of heated is, uh, is just when I see posts talking about like how two certain signs don't mix well or something like that. It's like, how do you know? Like, how do you know? You know, Cause it, that at the, cause they, what you're doing is just profile exactly like the personality test. You know, mm. you're just like kind of being ignorant to the fact of who they really are. Yeah. You know, honestly, <clears throat> I will admit this. I think to a fault, I am, I am too logical thinking. Cause when I think, okay, well, is, is Aries really a certain way? Cause I'm, I'm an Aries, right? Mm-hmm. But then I think about other people who are also Aries and I know a lot of Aries who have very outgoing, outspoken personalities in the same way that I do. And I'm like, huh, maybe there is something to that. But at the same time, you know, I've been going to Chinese restaurants my whole life, getting, been getting fortune cookies my whole life. I think it's as woo-woo as fortune cookies, right? And I think it's just something for fun. But then there is also something to think about like, okay, well, why are a certain amount of people, uh, a large percentage of the people born in this time period, March and early April, um, fit into this type of personality? Why are we all somewhat similar in that respect? Mm-hmm. And then... I'm so logical thinking that I'm like, okay, what if it's like the effect of weather or like the seasons and the mentality? Cause you think about it, summer, people want to go outside. People are more outgoing. People are in a more upbeat mood. Winter, people are more inside. People are more depressed, seasonal depression, right? So maybe there is something to be said about being a kid whose first experiences in the world are in a place like December or January. And you're around a lot of people who are cold and miserable. Right. So maybe things like that environmentally can shape your personality as you grow older. Who the fuck knows? Because I was born in spring and Mm. I feel like I have a very outspoken, outgoing personality. And I know a lot of people who are born in similar time as me. Very similar in personality. Does nicer weather or coming out of winter have anything to do with that? Who knows? But it's really crazy to think about how I'm so logical and unwilling to accept the theory of astrology. But I'm also so willing to entertain the idea of UFOs and aliens, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and ghosts and paranormal experiences and succubi. I'm just waiting for something to drop. Yeah, hell no. <laughs> um, so what's what's your take on all that astrology? I, I, I didn't think of it like that deeply, but I did always have like in the back of my head just like how much like environment had to do with like, you know, kind of categorizing people in the sense like, uh, you know, once you hear something so much, it kind of becomes a part of your identity. And if you kind of grow up with like people who believe in that and they tell you who you are, mm. then how like, you know, how open are you to becoming that person? I, I think this is an ongoing, never ending science, honestly, sociology, personality, any any of it, the way people interact, there will always be the grand debate of nature versus nurture. Right. Mm. And, and 
I think, honestly, it's hard to put, pinpoint it on exactly one thing. Is it nature or nurture or a combination both. of both? I think it's definitely a combination of both, obviously. Um, but honestly, like, I hear we the astrology thing and, like, the self-image thing. That's obviously uh, a nurture thing. Your environment imposes those those beliefs on you, right? Perfectly fine. But then I think back to the experiment where this fucking doctor, um, I forget how this turned out with him. He might be dead by now, but um, back in the day, I believe this is like the 80s, he took two twins, uh, two boys that were twins born at the same time, identical, chops off the penis of one of them and gives this kid hormones as an experiment. What the fuck? And they want to raise him as a girl and see if gender roles are really nature or nurture. So and it, long story short, these kids ended up growing up and this guy who was told from a very young age he's a girl and he's been told that he has to like long hair, Barbies, girly things. He can't play with trucks because those are for boys, things like that. He grew up very depressed, very miserable, eventually ended up owning his male side of his personality, even though he's never had a penis, basically, because he got it chopped off at birth. The whole reason this started is because um, something happened where when he was getting circumcised, uh, they, they it was a botched circumcision, and they said, let's just chop the whole thing off. Fuck. And that's how it happened. That. And so from fucking day one, you know, he was raised as a girl. But then, obviously, that had a big impact, op- impact on the whole nature versus nurture debate because this doctor actually yeah. ended up publishing the results of his long-term study showing that this kid was perfectly normal and accepted his image as being a girl. When in reality, this guy ended up actually um, going back to being a guy, getting married to a woman, and then the woman divorcing him because he can't have sex, and he kills himself as a young adult in his 20s. All this for just fucking science. A science. I mean, it's a doctor trying to cover his tracks because he botched a circumcision, he made a decision on a whim, Mm. and then treated it like an experiment. Um, So, yeah, when I hear outrageous stories like that, it really does shine some light. Maybe a lot of this stuff is really ingrained into who you are when you're born. And it, and I think it'll be a very, I think we're a long ways away from knowing exactly what is nature and what is nurture in personality typing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just definitely, it's, it's a science that's still, it's continually evolving for yeah. sure. Yeah. Do you know what I like about this podcast so far? Uh, we can wrap it up here in a second, but we literally went down a lot of different rabbit holes on basically everything that I talked about in the fucking description that we came up with last night. So it seems like it's accurate. Uh, hot takes on pop culture, modern science, conspiracy, and oh, stoner thoughts. Bro, there we go. We hit all of them on this fucking thing. Um, so on that note, uh, look forward if you guys are still listening. Hopefully you are. If you guys are, you guys are the real MVP here, right? Y'all are the real yes. heroes. Um, so... The next episode coming out on Saturday. This is a Tuesday that this episode's dropping on Saturday. We got Clark Kegley coming back on, and we're going to continue the conversation that we weren't able to continue on the first ever recorded episode of the podcast that he was on, which is the whole aliens and UFOs conspiracy. I think we've mentioned this in just about every episode up to this point, so we might as well actually just get it off our fucking chest. That's true. So be sure if you tune in into that one, bring your tinfoil hats because you never know what's going to go down. Damn straight. And foam might be falling off the walls even more, getting flung at us. Seems like every time we talk about paranormal stuff, foam falls and hits Chris in the head. It's after me. I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. But either way, guys, hope you guys enjoyed this one. Peace out. Peace.